Um, good evening and welcome to Signs, Wonders, and Miracles um, Monday Night Broadcast. We are so glad you, you're able to join us today. And uh, I am Deborah, and I'll be your host tonight. Um, I'm filling in for Apostle James Vivian. And tonight's topic is going to be about worship. I just felt the Lord has put it on my heart to teach on thanksgiving, praise, and worship. And um, I know that a lot of times we go through things and we don't feel like uh, praising God or thanking him for anything, but it is so important that we give him the praise that is due him. So, excuse me, so I'm going to jump into this um, right quick. Let me get situated here. And we got this thing fixed as far as pressing one uh, if you have any questions. And then to exit the queue, you press one again, so that will remove your hand. Uh, we've been having uh, problems with that so in the past, so we've gotten that figured out. And um, let me get into this. So I'm going to be starting out in Leviticus chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Okay. Leviticus 2, verses 1 through 11. Let me get to it, so. Okay. Does anybody want to read? Any volunteers? Just press one so I can open your mic. Okay. Leviticus 2, 1 through 11. So in Leviticus, it talks about the offering. <coughs> Excuse me. It talks about offering. So I'm going to read through these. Scriptures, and then I'm going to explain, uh, pick out key words that uh, explains about um, uh, praise and worship and thanksgiving. Even though praise and worship kind of merge, it's like a thin line, they just kind of merge together. So it may just flow into it one into the other. Okay, so, uh, and when any will offer a meat offering unto the Lord, his offerings shall be fine flour, and he shall pour oil upon it and put frankincense thereon. So, we have oil and frankincense. And then verse 2 and he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, and he shall take there out his handful of the flour thereof and of the oil thereof with all the frankincense thereof 
and the priest shall burn the memorial of it upon the altar to be an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the remnant of the meat offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is a thing most holy of the offerings of the Lord made by fire. And if thou bring an oblation of a meat offering, baking in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mingled with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. And if thy oblation be a meat offering, baking in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour unleavened mingled with oil. Thou shalt part it in pieces and pour oil thereon. It is a meat offering. And if thy oblation be a meat offering, baking in the frying pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And thou shalt bring the meat offering that is made of these things unto the Lord. And when it is presented unto the priest, he shall bring it unto the altar. And the priest shall take from the meat offering a memorial thereof and shall burn it upon the altar. It is an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And that which is left of the meat offering shall be Aaron and his sons. It is a thing most holy of the offerings of the Lord made by fire. No meat offering which ye shall bring unto the Lord shall be made with leaven, for ye shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering of the Lord made by fire. <coughs> and I'm also read uh, verse 13, where it talks about the offering season with salt. And every oblation of thy meat offering shalt thou season with salt, neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering. Excuse me. With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. Okay, so when we're talking about meat offering, it's not literally like meat flesh. It's more like uh, grains because when you read in scripture, it actually interprets what the meat offering is. You're mixing oil with your fine flour. So, let me go back. So oil, we know that throughout the Bible, oil is is a type of the Holy Spirit. Um, It is recognized as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And frankincense, this was um, like an incense that was of high quality. It symbolized it symbolizes prayer and praise. So when we're reading through these scriptures, it says it's a, a sweet savor unto the Lord. When they were presenting their offerings to the Lord, and then unleavened. Unleavened means sincere and truthful. So those of you who have uh, not familiar, you know, the new people that are on, we know that the Bible is made up of 
allegories, metaphors, parables, and proverbs. The majority of the Bible is. There are some things that are literal, but um, most of it is, is metaphors. So unleavened means sincere and truthful. So basically what that means is don't say anything to God you don't really mean. Because there is an angel that is will record the things that you say. So like in Ecclesiastes 5, uh, verse 5, chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy, thy voice and destroy the work of thy hand? So when we are offering our praise, our worship to God, whatever we say, it needs to be unleavened. It needs to be sincere and truthful. It's not going to be sincere praise and worship. Best thing is just to keep your mouth closed. So in 1 Corinthians, for those of you who are taking notes, uh, it says, um, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 through 8, Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, as ye are sincere and truthful. So before, like, purge out, therefore, the old leaven, before, when you're praising the worship thing, you're just doing it maybe because other people, you see other people doing it. You see how God's blessing them. So you do the same thing because, oh, if I praise and worship God, then I may get this. So, but that old leaven needs to be purged. And we want to be truthful and sincere in our praises. So, therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So, there's where the Bible interprets itself. That's what unleavened means, sincerity and truth. Now, salt, and I'm explaining all this so that when I get down into the different types of praises uh, of worshiping, That's throughout the Bible. This is what God requires of us. This will make better sense so you'll have a better understanding. Salt means to pray out of a covenant relationship with God. So every word that describes worship describes, you know, when I get to that, it describes a posture of the body. And that's without exception. So it's going to be like from the head to the toes, every part of our body. It's like uh, even David, when he danced. He was praising God. I mean, he had to be using every single muscle, every part of his body when he was praising God and dancing before the Lord. Now, salt in uh, Mark 4, I mean, 9, uh, verse 49, is the fire of testing that each believer goes through or faces. In 1 Peter 4.12, it talks about the partakers of Christ's suffering. So we all 
because of Christ's suffering, we are all partakers of that, where the old man was crucified. So, and then the next mention of salt in that verse of Mark 4, 949, it refers to uh, salting of the Old Testament sacrifices, which was in Leviticus 2.13. We Christians should offer ourselves to God as living sacrifices, according to Romans 12.1. And I'm going to go to Romans 12.1 and read that. Um, It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We should offer ourselves to God as living sacrifices. If we're dead, we can't offer any sacrifices of praise. So... Do it while you're still alive. And in the in verse 50, if you think about salt from the dead sea contains impurities, and it becomes stale and unpleasant in taste. So going back to James 1, 2, we must allow the fire of God to purify our hearts, purify the innermost part of our being. So when that happens, we, we have to get, it gets rid of the old stuff, the old man. Is purged out of us so God can purify us with the new man. As I said, when Jesus died on the cross, the old man was crucified. So behold, we became new creations uh, in Christ when we uh, accepted Jesus. So the trials of life, is mentioned in James 1-2. So they trials make patience. And the victory we get after going through these trials brings spiritual growth and maturity. And also in uh, Romans 5-3, it says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. So when we are going through these trials and tribulations, we still should praise God. We still should thank him because we have so much to be thankful for. It's not a time that uh, just because we're going through that uh, we should not praise God because God is sovereign. He, you know, when we go through these trials and these tests, we it just makes us stronger. Like uh, I said before, we just uh, become more mature. And uh, it works patience. We're not so anxious for, you know, things to happen anymore. We put it in God's hand. We trust him and say, Lord, it's in your hand. And just thank him for, for all the blessings. Because we are blessed every day. I don't care if it's just uh, uh, shelter over our heads because there are so many people out here that are homeless. I don't care if it's heat in your house in the winter. Some people don't have heat or not able to pay their bills. Clean water. I've been to um, Cambodia where their water is not clean. So that is a blessing that I have clean water to drink. And just 
so many different things. People not able to take showers or whatever. Uh, I think that is just a luxury. Uh, I feel like everybody would like to be clean, so that's something to be thankful for. Just a new day. Just God woke you up. It just If you just sit and think about it, you won't have time to be upset. And all you're doing is thanking God for what he's done for you or what he is doing for you. Okay, now I'm going to start from the head and work downwards. All about all the specific acts of worship. So now, one specific act of worship is to bow your head. And we all, we all do that. Well, I hope we do. When we're eating, we get ready to eat. We bow our heads and we pray over our food. We thank God for our food. And in Genesis 24, 26, it says, it says, 24, 26. And the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. So in the beginning, people were praising God. They were worshiping him. So I'm going to just point out all the scriptures where it says that. Um, Like I said before, I, I believe God wanted me to speak on this. Um, I think a lot of us, we go through stuff again, and we don't take the time out to thank God because we're focusing on what we're going through. And we should be thanking him for bringing us through because he knows we already have the victory. It's just that we have to go through it. And I think if we don't, if God doesn't take us through these trials and tribulations, then um, we won't become humble. We won't be humble. Okay, so that's one place, one scripture. I'm not going to, I mean, there's so many scriptures in here about uh, praise and worship, about how the different ways we use our body to praise God and give thanks. So I'm just going to give like a few of them. And if you have questions, press 1, and it'll put you in the queue, and then I'll um, open the mic up for you for questions and comments. Okay, so in Exodus 4.31, it says, excuse me, and the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. So, at that time, the uh, children of Israel had been afflicted. And so God, you know, they were praying, God had visited them. And so by visiting him, that means that their prayers were answered and um, they bowed and worshiped God and thanked him. They were praising him for what he had done, for answering their prayer. 
So bowing your head is one. Bowing your head is one way of uh, act of worship. Okay. Now, in Psalms, David gives us two different postures of, of the hands. And the hands, they represent worship as well. So the lifting up of the hands. So go with me to Psalm 63, verses 1 through 4. Psalm 63, 1 through 4. And it says, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsted for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. We can praise God by lifting up our hands. You know, sometimes we're in praise and worship. You don't necessarily have to be... Um, at service, you know, at church or whatever you're meeting. At home, when you're praising God, you can just lift up your hands. If you don't even have anything to say, you just look up to the heavens and you just raise your hands. That is a form of worship. If you just wave, that is a form of worship and praise to the Almighty God. And also in that verse, um, in verse 3, praising, praising with your lips. Open your mouth. Speak to God. Just praise him. Just thank him. So, um, let's see. Psalm 141.2 also is um, the lifting up of your hands. Psalm 141.2. It says, let my prayer be set before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And remember, incense is a sweet savor. Incense is like uh, the frankincense. When it is burned, it sends forth a beautiful, a very distinctive aroma. And that aroma typifies worship. It's a sweet savor to the Lord. So when you're offering a prayer, lifting up your hands, that is a form of worship. Okay. So when you lift up your hands, you're acknowledging God's majesty and his sovereignty. So then there's another scripture. Worshiping with the hands, you're spreading out your hands. And when you spread out your hands, you open your hands up to receive, to receive what God has for you. 
So if you go to Psalm 143, 6, 143, 6, it says, I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsts after thee as a thirsty land. See, Lot. So David is stretching forth his hands. He's wanting to receive something from the Lord. And sometimes, like, if you're in prayer, I mean, in worship, and you're extending your hands out in prayer and praise, it starts to get heavy. And I look at it like, that's the glory God is giving you, positing his glory into you, as your hands are just getting heavy. So even the Hebrew word for glory is the same word as weight or Shed it, which is glory. And weight, <clears throat> that can re- re- uh, refers to incor- your incorrect attitudes and your actions. So you want to get rid of those, that incorrect way of thinking or incorrect way of acting. It describes burdens or something so heavy and cumbersome that impedes our are like a a runner who's running for his race, that's going to impede you because you're being weighed down with, with all these burdens. If that makes sense. So <clears throat> when we praising God, we're giving all that to him. We don't hold on to that. So we don't have all this weight holding us down that prevent us from praising God, giving him the praise that is due him. Okay. God wants complete control of our bodies in worship. He wants complete control because in Romans 12, 1, we are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, not just our hands, not just our feet, but our whole body, our whole being. Now, another person who spread out his hands to the Lord was Solomon when he dedicated the temple that he built. And in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 6, sort of 13, it says, And he stood, and this is Solomon, and he stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands. He spread forth his hands. In front of everyone. A lot of times people don't want to praise God out in public because other people around. But you cannot worry about who's there because at that time it's between you and God. Whoever's next to you or whoever's in the room with you, they can't give you what God can give you. They can't give you what you need. And so in verse 13, it says, For Solomon had made a brazen scaffold of five cubits long and five cubits broad and three cubits high and had set it in the midst of the court. And upon it he stood and kneeled down upon his knees before all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands toward heaven. Kneeling is another form of worship. Another form of praise. 
So in Ephesians 3.14, Paul bowed his knees to the Father. So when we bow our knees, it's an act of total submission. Total submission. It's, it's um, I feel like it's more of a submission than just standing up and praying because when you're bowing down, you're kneeling, that that exalts the Lord. He's up above. So then we acknowledge how sovereign God is. So um, we know that that is a fact about God. He is sovereign. He does what he wants, when he wants, and the way he wants. And he asks no one's permission. So he is sovereign. So any questions before? Okay, I see. Um, Eight one six five five eight. Your mic is open. Eight one six five five eight. Your mic is open. Okay, I guess they changed their mind. Okay, moving on. Still on bowing the knee as an act of worship. So Philippians 2, 9 through 10 says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things other under the earth. So it's better to start praising him now, you know, acknowledging God for his sovereignty, praising him for who he is. Might as well do it now because according to Philippians 2.10, we're going to be doing it anyway. Every knee should bow. Get into the practice of it now uh, before before that day. Okay. Um, before I move to the next section, press one to open your mic. If you have a question or comment, and then once your question has been answered, press one again, and it will remove you out of the queue. So now we don't you don't have to hang up and call back in. Okay. The next part of your body for uh praise and worship is clapping your hands. We all do that. So clapping hands is another form or act of worshiping God. Uh when we're in service Apostle James will have us uh, clap our hands. He says that it brings in the angels. And when we're clapping our hands, uh, bringing in the angels, our angels, and even other angels, because they come, we're praising, worshiping God. You know, we know that that's what they do in heaven. It's praise going on nonstop. So angels come in. They's like, What's all this noise, you know? Um, they come. These people are praising God. Angels love to praise. They go back, report to God. 
God, there's people down here at this place. They are praising you. Guess what? Here comes God. When God comes, miracles happen. I don't know who wouldn't want to be in the presence of the Lord. So I just, something that for you that was free. (laughs) Always remember, God inhabits the praises of his people. Okay, so Psalm 47.1. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. So we already know, bowing your head, um, your voice speaking, um, hands extending them out and up, kneeling, those all forms of uh, praise and worship. And we get to another description of praise and worship, I mean, of worship in, that, in the Bible, and that's falling prostrate on your face before God. I don't know how many of you have done that, you fall prostrate. I think that's the lowest, the lowest that you can go. That has a meaning as well as all the other forms of worship. So lying prostrate on your face before God means total dependence on God. It means like, Lord, I can do nothing without you. I can't even start. So where do I begin? So I think you lay prostrate on the floor. Um, You know, it's all kind of stuff on the floor. People walk around on the floor unless you constantly shampooing your carpet and uh, you don't walk in your house with shoes on, with your shoes on or anything, but there's dust and steel uh, on your floor. So you're putting your face down there, so you're really humbling yourself to put your face on the floor. So <laughs> it'd be like, you know, something you may want to practice something every morning, say something to the effect like, God, I'm I'm just totally dependent on you. You don't have anything to give me. I have nothing to give. So we are dependent on God to give us what we need at any given time. So when we're lying prostrate, and you say that, that letting God know that you're dependent on him, you should be feeling secure after saying that because you can't go any lower. It's a secure feeling, and I'll tell you why. When you're on the floor and you're saying, Lord, I come as low as I can come, there's only one way I can go from now on, and that's up. So when you're down on the ground, on the floor, you become humble. That's a a form of humility. And so when you're humble, that gets rid of any pride. So now when that pride is gone, then the Lord can use you because we know pride was what got Lucifer kicked out of him. We do not want pride. If we have pride, Lord cannot use us. And if we're sacrificing according to Romans 12, 1, we want to get rid of all pride. We want to crucify the old man, and we want to be purified. We want the new man. Amen? So... 
one problem or the root of the problem is well, we can't be, we, we don't submit to God, we don't worship him, we don't thank him. When we're going through only when times are good is because the, it's a, it's a, we were born into a fallen world, so the human race has the desire to be independent of God. And it's technically called like the old man. When Jesus died on the cross, our old man was crucified. But we still try to do things in our own strength. It's just like we're taught from kids. When we're kids, growing up, our parents teach us or taught us all through life to be independent, not to be dependent on anyone. Because I know I uh, raised my son. It's like I taught him how to cook, do your laundry. That way you don't have to be dependent on anybody to cook for you, to clean for you. You know how to do it. So other people, it may be other things. It may not necessarily be that, but it's like we're taught to be independent. Even when we work in corporate America, some jobs require us to work independently. So the nature of this fallen race, the, this world we live in. So we become acclimated being independent that we don't even, it, it just may roll over like we don't need God or acknowledge him to help us in time of need. He's the one that created us. So if we don't ask for his help and try to do things in our own strength, guess what? It's going to be harder. I think there was a saying, it's like, work smarter, not harder. The same would be to be smarter, praise God, ask him. He'll, you know, inhabits the praises of his people. When you praise him in sincerity and truth, He's going to take care of you. He's going to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, according to uh, Philippians 4.19. So any questions or comments before I go into this next section? I'm going to discuss the difference between a soulish body and a spiritual body, why uh, it's hard to uh, praise God. Okay. Press 1 if you have a question or comment before we move on. Okay, first is Corinthians 15. I'm not going to read all that, but this will help. Uh, you can go back and read that later, but it's like the difference between soulish, soul and spirit. So what's the difference between a soulish body and a spiritual body? A soulish body has to have a soul to set it in motion. So when we are praising God, our body is set in motion. The spirit can't operate the body directly. It has to go through the soul. The reason why it goes through the soul is because that's where our will is, our emotions. So when we make up in our mind, I will praise God, goes through your soul, then the spirit can operate the body. But it has to go through the soul first because that is your will. Because if you don't want to worship God, 
You don't want to thank God. You don't want to um, praise him. You're not going to do it. Your body's not going to do it. But see, in eternity, we will have a spiritual body. Your spirit won't have to go through the soul, the mind, the will, the emotions. The spirit would just say, let's praise God. Let's just praise the Lord. And that'll be it. Let's just dance. Just like it, praise and worship in heaven 24-7, nonstop. They don't have to sit and think about it. Let me, oh, do we want to praise God today? Do I want to praise God today? No. They don't have a body. They don't have a soul. So eternity, and I can't wait. That's the way it's going to be. I think when I when I am praising God, it feels so good. I don't care what, what's going on. I'm praising him. My focus is on him. It's not on my situation. So even when I come out of praise and worship, even though I'm not really coming out of it, stopping it because I continually praise and thank God throughout the day, but I'm, that burden has been lifted. I don't think about what's going on, what, what my problems are. Because during that time, I'm giving all that to God. I'm just laying it at the altar. I'm just laying it at the feet of Jesus. So I thank God that we're allowed to do that, that we don't have to keep carrying that. We don't have to be weighed down by the cares of this world or our problems or whatever's going on around us. So what I'm trying to say is to, to get your whole personality in tune with God and respond to God as God desires. It's all throughout the book. Praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him. Your spirit has to work through your soul to move your body. So when you become a willing vessel, it makes it easier. So when your spirit wants to worship God, there's not much you can do without the cooperation of the soul and the body. And a spirit that cannot worship God because the soul and the body do not cooperate is an imprisoned spirit. So therefore, the the body for that spirit is a prison, is a prison shut up. It's like this body, this the spirit is a prison shut up in that body, and it's unable to respond. So God wants worship described throughout the Bible, from the head to the toes, and everything in between. So I'm opening up again because um, that's the end of my teaching. If you have any questions, any comments, press 1, and I'll open up your mic. And then press 1 to exit the queue. Okay. All right. Well, that concludes my um, teaching on Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving praise and worship. And I'm just going to pray us out. Father God, I lift up everyone on this broadcast. I ask you, Lord God Almighty, who can do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can think or ask, 
ask you to release your presence and your power, God, over each of us. Touch our bodies right now, Lord, and, and release our bodies so that our spirit is released out of prison, that we may worship you from the head to the from the, our, the head to the toes of our bodies and everything in between. I ask you, Lord God, to unlock our minds wherever we are in battle because your word says we will go through trials and tribulations. Lord, I know that uh, trials make patience. Help us to be reminded of your word that we glory in tribulations, also knowing that tribulation worketh patience. May you give us peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, may you bless us. May you help us. May you strengthen us. May you cause us to know your will for us. We ask for your victory in every area of our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. But this concludes our um, Signs and Wonders and Miracles Monday broadcast. I pray that everyone was blessed and um, look forward to... um, Next Monday. Shalom.